Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 this evening. We want to start with the 17th verse. And it came to pass on a certain day as he, speaking of Jesus, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down to the tiling with his couch under the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now I want to back up into this uh, story and talk about it a little bit. We know that, um, uh, that these four guys... Well, really five guys, four carrying him, one on each corner of the bed or the cot that he's being carried on. And then, of course, the man who has, who's crippled to begin with, they exercise their faith in a visible manner. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, now the faith he's talking about is obviously not giving up when, because of the multitude or the crowd that's gathered together. If you put together um, this account with the other gospels' account of this, uh, one trend or one uh, account of it says that this was Jesus' house. It says when he was come to his own house, then it tells about it speaking on that day when the Pharisees and the doctors of the law are sitting by. That might explain why there wasn't some kind of commotion or furor or whatever we would identify it as when the owner of the house. Didn't throw a fit because somebody tore up his roof. And these guys apparently saw that the multitude, the crowd was so large in the house, so many people were packed in the house, they couldn't get in. So they decided to make the crowd move by letting down this guy on his bed from the roof. You can well imagine the people that are closest to Jesus inside the house, the part of the crowd inside the house, looking up and seeing this guy coming down there's no option but for them to get out of the way. Or else the man lands in their lap. And so Jesus, it said, when he saw their faith. Notice this. Let me read it again. When he saw their faith, verse 20. He said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now verse 23 Jesus perceived the thoughts. He answered and said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? I'm going to read verse 23 from a modern day translation because I think it brings out uh, the point that's being made here. It's not uh, technically correct as far as the language is concerned, but it's a good, um, well, it really just amplifies it instead of translates it. It says this The Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Now, again, in the King James, which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? This other translation says, the Son of Man has power to forget, on earth to forgive sins. But how can I prove this to you? Maybe you're thinking it was easy for me to say your sins are forgiven. There's no proof that it really happened. But what if I say to the man, stand up and walk? Then you will, you will be able to see that I really have this power. So Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, stand up. Take your mat and go home. I like that. Like I said, it may not technically be correct as far as a translation is concerned. It's, uh, it's certainly not uh, in line with what the King James translation is. The King James is what's called a transliteration. 
And what that means is it's the closest word-for-word translation of any of the, the, um, the Bibles that we have access to. And what that means in many, case, many cases, including this one, is they use as few words as possible to translate from the original Greek text. But this easy-to-read or modern-day translation that we um, just referred to really captures, in my mind, what Jesus is trying to get across to them. Now, he asked him a legitimate question. He said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And as this other translation or paraphrase points out, one can be seen whether or not it happens. But forgiveness of sins can't be seen. So when Jesus says, which is easier to say, what is he trying to communicate? The Holy Ghost must have seen this or identified this as an important point for us to get, to, for us to add to our understanding. So what is it we're supposed to understand? Folks, it's very simple, which most of the translators didn't seem to accept and most of the church world doesn't seem to accept. But when Jesus says, which is easier to say, he's literally saying it's just as easy to say, rise, take up your bed and walk as it is to say, your sins are forgiven. Now, why is that? Because it's the same power that works both results. Jesus is literally telling them the same power that heals the sick is the power to save or forgive sins. Now, that's all they could have in their day. The forgiveness of sins was as far as it goes because Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross. He hadn't yet paid the price. But he's literally saying it's the same power that does both. You remember over in... in, um, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, the gospel of Christ is the good news of what Jesus has done for us, right? Where do we get that information? There's only one source of that information, and that is the Bible. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he's saying specifically, I'm not ashamed of what has been revealed to us about the work of Jesus. Now, why isn't he ashamed? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it, the word of God, it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, the word salvation used there in in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, is an all-inclusive term. It's the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. I don't know how you say it in the original Greek, but it gives you an idea of the word that's being used, at least, for us to spell it in English. And this word sozo includes and means specifically to rescue to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. The same word sozo is the word that's used over in James chapter one, verse fourteen, or James chapter five, verse fourteen, where it says, um, verse fifteen, where it says, "The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick." The word of faith, which brings healing for the physical body, that's the context of what he's look, talking about. We'll look there in just a minute, but where he says, "The prayer of faith shall save the sick." That word save is the word sozo. Well, he's obviously talking about physical healing. He says, is any sick among you? So he's talking about sickness. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing with oil in the, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the prayer of sozo. I'm sorry, the prayer of faith shall save, shall sozo the sick. He's talking about healing. So when Jesus says, which is easier to say? Is it easier for for God? He knows he's the son of God, of course. He knows he does have power on the earth to forgive sins. He's saying, which do you think is harder to do? If one's easier, then the other one would be harder, wouldn't it? He's saying, which is harder to do? Well, they're both the same thing. His words, because he's anointed of God to bring healing to the sick and salvation to the soul, his words are going to bring about both results. And he identifies the proof as being the healing of this man's physical body. The healing of this man's physical body. Now let me back you up again to verse 17. I think we started with verse 17. I want to read this to you again. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Notice this last phrase. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Do you see that? Now I've got a question for you. At what point in time or on, one, or on what occasion was Jesus ever teaching the word where the power of the Lord wasn't present to heal? Well then, since God doesn't do things by accident, how is it that the Holy Ghost inspired Luke to write that on this occasion the power of the Lord was present to heal? See, folks, I'm of the opinion, and I believe I can prove it by Scripture, that Jesus carried the power to heal everywhere that he went. You remember Mark chapter, four, Mark chapter 5, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and suffered many things of many physicians, and it was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his clothes. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that healing virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Well, the disciples look around and see who it was that did it. They're, they start complaining to Jesus by, about having to find some one specific person in the crowd when the whole crowd's trying to touch him. But she, the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, fell down before him and told him all the truth. And then Jesus said, Mark 5, 34, and Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of that plague. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, the point that I want to get across to you is that Jesus, operating in the way that he did, always had healing power present and on reserve to heal anybody and everybody that was sick. But we know that the thing that triggers it is faith. Now, what did the woman with the issue of blood have faith in? Well, it says when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She had to. If that's what her faith has produced in her, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, then that means she's heard of people touching Jesus or at least touching his garment and receiving healing. She couldn't have had faith to be healed by touching his garment if that's what, not what her faith was in. It has to be that because of what she heard or whatever it was that she heard about Jesus, she heard that people were healed by physical touch. That's the only way that she could have developed faith or had faith to be healed in the manner that she did. Well, now, where did she get that information? Where did she hear of Jesus? Well, you may remember in Luke chapter 4, the Bible tells us about how that Jesus was led into the wilderness and he was fasting out there for 40 days. And at the end of the 40-day period, the devil came and tempted him. And Jesus defeated him by speaking the word. That's all he did. He just spoke what God's word was in, uh, in response to the doubts and the temptation that the devil tried to bring. Then it says in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. There went out a fame of him through all the region round about. We know in, Mark, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, the first part of the chapter tells us about a cripple, or I'm sorry, tells us about a leper that came to Jesus. And he says something that's unique to anybody else that we have record of in Jesus' ministry. That doesn't mean there wasn't anybody else that thought the same thing or took the same position that he did, but we don't have any record of it. And it says that the leper came to Jesus and said, I know you can heal me if you will. And Jesus instantly moved with compassion toward him, touched him and said, I will. Now, is Jesus a respecter of persons? The Bible says he's not. So that means if it's the will of God for the leper to be healed, it has to be the will of God for everybody else to be healed. What's good for one has to be good for all or else we've got to tear out the page where it says God is no respecter of persons. Now some people in the church world, bless their hearts, have devised this scheme or this belief that God wants different things for different people. 
Well, that's partly right. God does want different things for people regarding his plan and his purpose for their lives. We're not all called to do the same thing. So there's a specific and unique plan and purpose God has for your life. But when it comes to the things that Jesus paid for and purchased with his own blood through the suffering of the cross and the resurrection from the dead, those things belong to everybody. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us specifically that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's talking about sin. It's talking about original sin and personal sin. It says the chastisement or the punishment of our peace. That word peace is the word shalom. It's translated prosperity in other places. It's talking about well-being in every area, including financially. But it's not exclusive to finances. So it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means Jesus paid the price for us to be well in every area, including financial. Then the last part of verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 53, it says, and with his stripes we were healed. So the Bible says without equivocation, without question, not without people that doubt it, but without question, without dispute, the Bible says that the same work that Jesus did on the cross concerning sins which was the shedding of his blood, paid the price for our well-being in every area and paid the price for sickness and disease that we might walk through life healed by the power of God. Now that's what the Bible says. So we see that the woman with issue of blood heard something of Jesus that built and developed faith on the inside of her to receive her healing and she did. Well, why was she able to take hold of the power of God and receive or affect her healing? As Jesus said she was, Jesus doesn't credit his power. He doesn't credit the move of God. He says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. What you heard about Jesus and put into practice resulted in what you desired, which was healing from the issue of blood. I know that um, I've heard the story many, many times. I heard it hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, about when Brother Hagin had a, his vision of the Lord, the first vision he had of the Lord in 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. He was in a tent meeting that, would, that was being held adjacent to um, Full Gospel Church there in the city of Rockwall in, in, in Texas. And he said that it was a time of prayer. The crowd was small and there was a storm going on. And so there wasn't many people that was, had showed up that evening. And so they were just devoting themselves to a time of prayer. And Jesus and uh, Brother Hagin was praying, minding his own business. And the Lord spoke to him and said, come up, come up hither. Well, he didn't know it was the Lord. He told that he thought it was just people, teenagers or kids playing pranks. And so he didn't bother about it. He said, I figured the pastor or some of the people of the church would take care of it. But I heard it three times. Come up, come up hither. The last time it was a little different. It said, come up, come up hither to the throne of God. Well, that caused him to open his eyes. And when he did, he was standing next to Jesus. And Jesus told him some things. I believe he said the vision that lasted for about an hour and a half. One of the things that happened, one of the things later in the vision that happened and maybe the most significant, certainly as far as our story tonight goes, he said that the Lord told him that he was giving him a specific healing anointing. He told him to stretch forth his hands, and so he did. And Jesus took the right, finger, the right forefinger of his hand and put it in each one of Brother Hagin's hands. And he said that when he did, when Jesus did that, he said his hands began to burn like he was holding the coal of fire. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, tell the people that you saw me. Tell the people that I appeared to you. Tell the people that I put the right forefinger in the palms of each one of your hands. Tell them that I gave you a specific healing anointing to heal the sick. Then he said, if they'll believe that, if they'll believe that I appeared to you, if they'll believe that I put my hands into your hands, if they'll believe that you have a specific healing anointing to minister healing to the sick, then they'll be healed in their bodies. 
Now, what is it about hearing concerning those that have healing power or have had healing power delegated to them? What is it about the hearing that's necessary for people to receive? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me give you another example that you'll be aware of, perhaps, if you've been here very long. Terry Mize is a, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the church. And we've had him preach over the last, I don't know, five or six years, maybe numerous times. The first time that Terry came, and everybody's aware and everybody's heard the stories of uh, the things that God has used him to do and the miracles that have taken place in and through his ministry. I noticed that the first time Terry was here, he talked a lot about miracles. We had him preach on Sunday morning, and then Sunday night we were advertising as a miracle service. And Terry was talking all Sunday morning about, uh, about healings and miracles. And I thought to myself, I'm surprised that he's teaching that on Sunday morning because that's the way the Sunday night service is supposed to go. But I didn't say anything to him or anybody else. I just minded my own business and thought, well, he's the one that has the miracles happen. I guess he knows how they work. But toward the end of that Sunday morning service, when he was talking to people about bringing anybody that needs healing and bringing anybody that needs a miracle and so forth, he, t- he said this, and my ears perked up instantly. He said, in order to make the healings and the miracles work, he said, they have to believe that I can do it. So he said, tell your friends about all the miracles we've had. Tell your friends about the little girl that was raised from the dead. He had just told the story. Tell your friends about the, then he named several other stories and accounts of things that had happened to him that he had shared that morning. He said, it's, very, it's vitally important that you get your friends, the people that need to hear the, that need to receive the miracles. It's vitally important that they believe that I can do it. Then he made this statement. He said, I need them to believe that I'm next to God. When it comes to healings and miracles. Well I put that together with what I'd heard Brother Hagin say so many times. And I saw the difference in different places while I was working with Brother Hagin. There were some places where people were familiar with him and familiar with his ministry. And even though it might be the first night of a week long series or a week long of crusade we were going to have. Whatever it might be. There were places where the atmosphere was just charged with expectation. There were other places where he spent most of the week trying to convince the people that healing belonged to him and that Jesus had appeared to him and so forth. Well, in those two different types of meetings, two different types of crowds, you could well understand we had a lot more results from the first crowd than the second crowd. Now, folks, you know enough, I assume, to know the present state of the church, the modern day church. You know as well as I do for the, that for the last 1900 plus years, almost 2000 years, the church has made excuses for why healings and miracles don't take place like they did when Jesus was here. Yet we know clearly that Jesus said that we should do the same works that he did. And he went further than that and said even greater works because I go into my father. Now turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 beginning in verse 14. It says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save. This is that word sozo. Shall save or heal the sick. In this case being saved from sickness is being healed. We well understand that. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now let me point something out. Let's notice that Jesus did not say, is any sick among you? Let him find somebody with a special anointing. But that's what people do. That's exactly what people in the modern day church do. They look for somebody that can carry the load and affect healing for their bodies. Now, let's compare that and contrast that with Mark chapter 16. Might as well turn there. 
Mark chapter 16, the last part of the chapter, the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he departed. Let's start in verse 16. No, no, let's start in verse 14. Chapter 16 of Mark, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now, this is the same guys, the same group that Jesus taught plainly about going to Jerusalem before he ever went, about being killed and being raised again the third day. But they weren't looking for him on the third day. They didn't believe it. Whatever it was, they had not entered into the willingness to believe that he could be raised from the dead. So Jesus talked to him about that a little bit. And then he said to them, verse 15, and then he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. Notice the fifth one of the signs. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Notice the word them is in italics. It's not in the original Greek. He's not working with them. He's working with the word. Now, as long as they're preaching the word, then he can work with them too. But notice God's cooperation and God's assistance. God's divine power works regarding the word. And isn't that exactly what Paul said in Romans 1.16 that we were talking about? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and to heal. Is that not exactly what he's saying? I believe it is. So, notice the sign of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. The one that fits in with what we're talking about tonight is if they they shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Now, folks, that seems to me to be a little different than what James 5 verses 14 and 15 say. I see this as him talking about the signs and the power of God that will follow the evangelist as he goes to preach in new places. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Ministering healing to the unsaved is a lot different than ministering to the church. It's a lot different. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak with new tongues. We will and should. It doesn't mean that we don't have divine protection over eating and drinking the wrong things or poisonous things and being in situations like Paul was himself taking up serpents you remember he was gathering firewood on the island that they were cast upon on their way to Rome. And the snake came out and bit his hand and he shook it off into the fire. That in itself was a sign to the people because they knew it was a poisonous snake. They assumed that since the snake bit Paul that God was after Paul or mad at Paul or something. But then when he shook it off into the fire and didn't, it didn't harm him or affect him in any way, that's when they knew that he was of God. It's not talking about handling snakes. That's about the stupidest thing anybody could do. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stupid people out there. And a lot of them that engage in that stupid practice wind up meeting Jesus early. So he's not talking about that. But he is talking about divine protection. If you were an evangelist in the disciples' day, the early days of the church... We see from Paul, who goes to new city after new city after new city. He needed divine protection. And thank God he had it. But James chapter 5 is a totally different audience. Totally different audience. Is any sick among you? He's talking about to the church, sick among the church. And notice again, it does not say, let him find somebody with a special anointing. Let him find somebody that's had a vision of Jesus. Let him find somebody that's having special miracles take place. 
it would have been just as easy, the, the timeline would have worked exactly right, but it would have been just as easy for James if he's just identifying his idea about sickness and disease. Why didn't James say, is any sick among you? Let him send for one of those prayer clauses that Paul's got. Acts 19 talks about, in verse 11, it talks about God working special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were taken unto the sick, handkerchiefs and aprons, and where they were laid on the sick, the evil spirits departed from them, and the, and the diseases left their bodies too. But James, inspired by the Holy Ghost, didn't say a word about looking for somebody else that had a greater anointing. He said, and we're going to, let's turn back there. I want to make sure I say it word for word, just the way he did. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is he sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. So the you he's talking about has to be the people in the church. If they're not in the church, or church is, that this letter was sent from Jerusalem, from James in Jerusalem, to the Jews that he says were scattered abroad, avoiding persecution by fleeing the, the uh, city of Jerusalem. Well, what happened when they relocated? Many of them started churches. Churches were, had already sprung up in some cases to the place, uh, in the places that these people fled to. He's got to be talking about in the church. And these are the only scriptures that the Bible identifies specifically regarding healing in the church. It's all we've got. We've got a lot of information. The Bible talks about receiving healing on your own through faith in God's word. That's great. Wonderful. Thank God we have that. Especially if you're in a place where a church doesn't believe in healing. But James said, if there are any sick among us, and even the way he asked that, it implies there shouldn't be. Is any sick among you? Well, if there are, here's what to do. And he leaves the impression that it should work every time. Doesn't he? He says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. That certainly implies if it doesn't come right out and say it, that it'll work every time. And folks, God didn't make healing power available to us. He didn't make the name of Jesus available to us to give it a try. He gave us the tools and the authority and even the power for healing to work every time. And notice who the healing power is available to. It's available to every person in the church. Who is the healing power available for? It's available for the elders of the church. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that churches are not the same. Some churches are better at certain things than other things. Some churches have an evangelistic purpose, and they get a lot more people healed, or a lot more people saved than a church that doesn't have that same purpose. Now, every church should have that purpose to a degree. But in some cases, some pastors are also evangelists. Other pastors are teachers. Some pastors are just exhorters. Nothing wrong with that. That's what Barnabas was. God certainly had a plan for his life. But you know as well as I do that not all church staffs are the same. Yet elders, which would correspond to the church ministry staff in our understanding and our operations of church today, James is saying by the Holy Ghost, that every church, every church staff has the power, has the ability, and even has the obligation, the responsibility to minister healing to anybody and everybody in that congregation that's sick. Now, what happened to the preaching and teaching on that? You may remember, we were talking about Luke chapter 4 earlier, after the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went a fame of him throughout all that region round about. The very next place it tells us about him going is this hometown of Nazareth, beginning in verse 18. 
where it says Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And he found the place in Isaiah's scrolls where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus closed the book, and all the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fastened on him. He closed the book and set it down. Then he sat down. Everybody's looking at him, wondering what's going to happen next. And Jesus says, this day are these scriptures fulfilled in your ears. Now, everybody knows, everybody in that synagogue, everybody that had ever had any uh, discipleship or any teaching about Judaism, everybody knows those scriptures that he looked for, picked out, and ministered from or read to the congregation are scriptures that pertain exclusively to the Messiah. So when Jesus said, these, this day these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears, he's really saying, as clearly as you can say it, it's talking about me. That means that you know that I'm the Messiah. But did he get anybody healed there? He didn't. The Mark 6 account says that he could there do no mighty work. Except he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments and got them healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now their unbelief was identified in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter four as to what they believed or what they didn't believe. They said this, can't, this guy can't be the Messiah. No matter what we've heard about him doing in Capernaum, no matter what miracles and healings and signs and wonders that he did in Capernaum, which was headquarters, ground zero for the healing and miracle ministry of Jesus. But they said it can't be him because we know his mother and father. They knew the Messiah was supposed to be born of God. And they assumed that since they knew Mary and Joseph, that it couldn't be him. And Jesus couldn't convince them in anything he said or anything that he did. Again, in Mark 6, verse 5, it says, And he could there do in Nazareth no mighty work. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now contrast that with the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind because she said, If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And she did, and she was made whole. But in Nazareth, they refused to believe because of what they thought they knew about Jesus. They refused to believe. It doesn't say they couldn't believe. It says they wouldn't. They refused to believe what Jesus said about himself, what Jesus said he was anointed to do. So they've heard the fame of him. That's evident by the fact that they mentioned the things, the signs and the wonders, the healings and the miracles that had been done in Capernaum. Jesus said he knew that that's what they knew. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, do the same things that we heard you do in Capernaum. But they wouldn't believe. So even though Jesus was anointed and sent to Nazareth to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to cleanse the lepers and so forth, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because they wouldn't believe of the fame that it would spread about him. Woman with the issue of blood did, and she got results. So that brings us to today. We see how things worked in Jesus' life and in his ministry. And it's a real shock. It was a real shock to me, and it's a real shock to most people that I've talked to, to find out that the healing power of God, which we know was unlimited, we assume that the Bible is true and really have no problem with it whatsoever when it says that Jesus had the Spirit without measure. That means he had all the power of God available to him to do any and every work that needed to be done to fulfill God's plan. Yet even the Son of God, who wasn't operating on the earth, or let's say that this way, who wasn't healing the sick because he's the Son of God, but who was operating as a man under the anointing power of the Holy Ghost, when people didn't believe who he said that he was, 
that power wouldn't even work through him as great as he was and as anointed and equipped with power as he was so what do we do today well most of the people that are getting healing miracles and signs and wonders and things like that are people that have special ministries now is that the way God wants it to be not at all and the Bible proves that it's not but if people can find out or hear something about somebody that has a ministry that produces miracles or heals the sick or whatever, people are willing to fall all over themselves to get in those crowds. That doesn't mean everybody that goes or everybody that gives it a try is in faith. They're not. But there's a lot of people that we saw coming to Brother Hagen's meetings that wouldn't think about going to their pastor or the church staff to be prayed for for healing yet that's the only place the only instruction that the Holy Ghost gives to the church about healing should, how healing should operate in the church again I want to point it out to you he says if any sick among you is there any sick among you let him call for the elders of the, of the church or the church staff the ministry staff and he said, the prayer of faith, not the anointing of oil, not the elders, but the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. It gets to the point nowadays where if we hear somebody trying to encourage people to believe, it sounds like they're claiming a false gift. But the Bible tells us and gives us the authority to say it that every church staff every church elder which means ministers within the church I don't know what to call that if it's not called church staff do you? is there a better term I could use? it's just got to be the ministry staff the elders of the church that James is talking about the word elder just means older people when Paul would go and start churches and then move on to the next city he would establish elders well, the elders were generally people that had just been saved over the few months that he'd been there. Even in Ephesus, the longest place that he ever resided, he stayed about three and a half years. Well, who in the world is ready to lead people in ministry after three and a half years? He's working with brand new converts. And so apparently the Holy Ghost directed him to pick the, to pick the, the uh, older people to put in charge you would assume that that would be because they have more life experience but nobody's had any ministry training nobody's been able to go to Bible school any of the elders that the Bible talks about in any of the cities are newly converted people that were given responsibility to lead others that's one reason why Paul's letters were so important because not everybody that was tagged to be an elder with oversight over the church even had the ability or the knowledge to teach or preach the word of God so when Paul's letters would come to these churches they'd soak these things up they'd read them over and over and over again they were living off Paul's letters but again the Holy Ghost says through James that every church staff has healing power to minister to their congregation. Everyone. He leaves nobody out. And James is in effect saying by the Holy Ghost, this is the way it should work everywhere. This is the way it should work in every church. I have a hard time saying some of the rest of this. So let me just say it in a general way. We'd get more healing results if people believed that we were anointed. But most people are waiting for a special service. At the very least, sometime where the presence of God comes into the crowd 
to receive then. But the same thing that caused Jesus not to be accepted in Nazareth is oftentimes the hindrance to it working today. See, the people that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah were the ones that had hung around with him. The ones that had grown up with him. They apparently didn't take any stock of the fact that Jesus was not a sinner. But there's never been any place where his behavior was called into question even before he was anointed of God to begin his earthly ministry. But they were too familiar with Jesus to accept who he really was. And isn't that the way it is with the local church? I'm nothing special. You see me all the time. You hear the jokes that I make that work and the ones that don't. You may be so familiar with me or the church that you don't like the way certain things are done or certain things are said. And all that's legitimate. I wouldn't fault anybody for claiming that very thing. But there's a difference, a big difference in me as a man and me as a pastor. Huge difference. I learned this with Brother Hagin, and so many people that were close to him never got it. There were times where Brother Hagin would say things by the Holy Ghost, and they were just so right on. I mean, he read your mail so, bad, so well, you'd feel embarrassed. When I was in Bible school and I'd slip up into something, my prayer was always two things. Lord, forgive me and don't tell Brother Hagin. Because we saw the times where the Lord would reveal things. We saw times and situations where he would say things to us by the Spirit of God that we knew it couldn't be him, it had to be God. But oftentimes the people that were around Brother Hagin didn't think there was a human side to it. There were a lot of things Brother Hagin said just being Brother Hagin, just being a human. And there were things where, that he wanted for us that he would say that he wanted them for us, but that people would take as the word of the Lord. And they'd follow that, and they, they went into, well, it just didn't work. So it was left to us to determine for those of us that had the wisdom to know the difference. It was left to us to determine, is he talking by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, or is this just him expressing his care and concern for us? I don't know what it was, but I was always able to see that pretty clearly. I was always able to identify that's just Brother Hagin or that's the Spirit of God through it. I can't explain why, but I know this. I know that the same people that sat in services that I did and the, the people of the group that had the same experiences with Brother Hagin, we didn't all come out with the same thing. We didn't all receive the same thing from him. There were people that were just as involved and just as familiar, familiar with Brother Hagin that aren't even anywhere close to preaching the word today. So as everything else goes, it was left to the individual to take from the, the speaker, in our case, Brother Hagin, whatever they believed was God. But folks, in the church, if these scriptures mean anything, in the church, we're supposed to be able to tell the difference between us as human beings and us being channels or instruments of the Holy Ghost. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, what Terry was talking about that we mentioned before about telling other people about how God used them and worked miracles and things like that, there's no way that I would even want you to do that. There's no way that I would want you to do that 
as a result of something that I said. Now, it would be great, and, and I might as well just peel the onion back here. It would be great if that's what people took upon themselves to declare. And it would change the healing atmosphere of our church. No question about it. None whatsoever. And it wouldn't even have to be about the individual. If a church gained a reputation, either deservedly so or by the will of the people, that this church was a place for the healing power to to flow, we'd have a lot more results in the area of healing. And that's what I believe James is trying to communicate. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. He doesn't single anybody out. He doesn't say anybody has something special where somebody else doesn't. He's saying the church should be a house of healing. Now it's up to the church to pick the right kind of ministry staff to affect or facilitate that. But if there's one thing that takes place in these last days as a result of the latter rain, the Holy Ghost operation in the world, I believe that's it. I believe that churches will be known as houses of healing again. Let me read to you from some scriptures that we use for prayer school. Haggai chapter 2. I want you to see it in this context. You're probably familiar with it. We talk about it enough. But beginning in verse 6, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. It's talking about the, the earth that's groaning and travailing for the appearance of the sons of God. It's talking about Jesus coming back. So when it says, And the desire of all nations shall come, it then says, And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Doesn't that imply greater power? Doesn't that imply greater results? And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house. He's talking about the church in the last days. He says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Now you tell me, well, let me finish it. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place, talking about the church, will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. That implies to me that the last days may be such that peace is hard to find, except in the church. Why single it out if not? It's a rhetorical question. I don't require everybody to see things or think about things the way that I do. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion and has the Holy Ghost to judge what's right and what's not. But I'm just of the opinion that God doesn't do anything by accident. So if he talks about the, the church being a place of peace, there's got to be something significant about that or else he wasted his time putting that in there. But one thing that we do know for certain is the first part of that verse where it says the glory of the latter house shall be greater than of the former. You look at the early chapters of the book of Acts when the church was just getting started. The healings and the miracles and the things that took place there were certainly more than significant. There were individuals that were healed, like the, the uh, crippled guy at the beautiful gate of the temple in Acts chapter 3. But there were also people that were healed in such a manner, in such a measure, as nobody had ever witnessed before. It talks about how the sick were laid in the streets so that just the shadow of Peter passing by might heal the sick. Now, folks, you can't find that in Jesus' ministry anywhere. There are things that happened in Jesus' ministry that we don't see recorded happening in the early days of the church. For example, Jesus spit on several people to heal them. We don't see the early church spitting on anybody. But you don't find anybody in Jesus' ministry that was healed by his shadow. Maybe that's a part of the greater works that Jesus said we'd do. I don't know. But where he says, certainly where he says, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. The former, the early days of the church, indicate that the congregations, and we don't even know where they were meeting, but that the congregations in the beginning of the church age were known for healing power. Well, if the glory is going to be greater in the last days, 
if the glory of the last day church is greater than the, the glory of the early day church, then that says to me that they have to become houses of healing once again. Doesn't it say that to you? What else could it be? Now, I'm not saying that's all. There may be a lot of things. For example, in Acts chapter 19 that we referred to earlier, verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were taken to the the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And people were delivered of evil spirits and diseases left them left their bodies. The only thing you can get close to that in Jesus' ministry was the woman with the issue of blood touching his garment. Then there's another place where it says whoever touched Jesus' garment in the multitude was healed. So people were healed through cloth or the contact with cloth in Jesus' ministry as long as he was in the robe. But in Paul's ministry, these handkerchiefs or aprons were sent to the sick places where Paul wasn't even at and healings were affected by them but I would consider Paul's uh, exploits as great as they were to still be part of the former church wouldn't you and if the Bible means anything the Holy Ghost is telling us the glory of the latter day church will be even greater than that I believe it's significant where Paul talked about knowing people not after the flesh but after the spirit. All that information I gave you about Brother Hagin, the difference between Brother Hagin the prophet and Brother Hagin the man, the human, is all about knowing somebody after the spirit and not after the flesh. It's all about that. And the glory of the latter day house or church shall be greater than of the former folks we need to realize and I'm not just telling you this for here or for the church God's going to take care of us whatever we need to do he'll make plain he'll make clear for us to do and we will accomplish whatever he has in store for us you don't have to worry about that a bit and as far as I'm concerned there's nothing that you need to do or must do or any place of esteem you need to hold me in or anything along that line to be necessary for us to fulfill this plan and purpose that's not what I'm saying at all but we do need to know the difference between what people minister by the Holy Ghost and just what they think or their opinion or whatever I try not to give my opinion on a lot of things But whenever I do, I suggest that you judge it for yourself. I always identify my opinion. You're not responsible for that. You are, however, responsible for the word. That's why he put the Holy Ghost on on the inside of each and every one of us so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? I believe with all my heart that the church is on its way. And I, I believe our church is included. But that the church is on his way to being a church of greater glory than the early days recorded in the book of Acts. The Bible says Jesus is coming for a glorious church in Ephesians. It says he's coming for a glorious church. Well, doesn't that fit in with what he said about the last days? The glory of the latter house shall be greater than of the former. That's the one Jesus is coming back for. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that anytime you listen to anybody, me included, anytime you listen to anybody, books, tapes, TV, radio, or in person, or any other means, internet or whatever, I want to encourage you to endeavor to hear from them, hear their words by the Spirit of God. And not just by what they think. That'll help us go a long way to getting to the place that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that the glory of the last day church will have the glory of God in demonstration in much greater measure than they even did in the book of Acts.
We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We offer ourselves as willing sacrifices, instruments of the Holy Ghost, to do anything and everything that you see fit. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, that we might know each other and everyone we come in contact with, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit of God. So that the Word of God and the power of God will minister to us and affect a change in us in greater measure than we've ever known before in our lives. We thank you, Father, for making it so in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Say this after me. For the Lord is good, good. and his mercy endures forever. Amen.